Hello, ladies and gents, and welcome back to the intro. This is your host, Matt Delavalle, aka MDV, and you are joining me for episode 98, the one about your why being greater than your excuses. And I am sitting down with Lindsay Locke today, aka the guru of woo woo, and she is back on the mic chopping it up with me about intention and impact. Lindsay is an associate therapist. She's the host of her own very successful podcast called Get Psyched. And she's an all-around bringer of the best vibes. Lindsay's a recurring guest on the intro, and she's as real as they come. In this episode, Lindsay and I dive into a deep conversation about willpower, stress, excuses, and our why. And if you haven't heard Lindsay on the show before, you're going to absolutely love Lindsay on the show. And you should go back to our previous episodes and check those out as well. One other thing you should check out if you're a coach or a gym owner out there is the NC Fit Collective. You can email me at collective at nc.fit or check out the programming page on the nc.fit website. This is where all of our workouts, all of our coaching tools, and all of our business support tools can be found. This is the one-stop shop for making sure you are running the best functional training gym slash group class gym as possible. We have amazing workouts backed up by world-class class plans and tons of tools for you to benefit from. Check out the NC Fit Collective. Without further delay, grab a notebook, grab a chair, and let's learn a thing or two from the guru of woo Let's go. All right, ladies and gents, welcome back to the intro. I have my good friend, Ms. Lindsay Taylor Locke, the guru of woo is back on the podcast. She is the host of her own very successful podcast called Get Psyched. Lindsay's a former employee at NC Fit. She headed up social media and marketing for us. She's now on her own journey doing a lot of really cool stuff that I'm sure we'll get into. But we just had like a 40-minute conversation that uh, unfortunately wasn't recorded, probably fortunately as well, because there was some stuff that we got into there that might not be appropriate for the microphone here. Um, but we ended the conversation talking about something that was really interesting to me that I think probably impacts a lot of people who are in the fitness, health, and wellness industry as well. And this idea that we were talking about was the psychology of behavioral change. And you brought it up in the context of addiction. So I kind of want to pick up the conversation right there and then transition it in talking about fitness, nutrition, health, and well-being. But break down what you were discussing in terms of addiction there, Lindsay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first off, thanks for having me. It's always yeah, and, so and fun. First of all, yeah, welcome back. <laughs> so fun to be back. I love the intro. This is one of my favorite shows to be on. Um, you know, we were talking about when people have very, very different views on things, right? And in the, in the lens of addiction, which I know we've talked about on other shows, I worked in inpatient treatment for years. Um, I'm now a therapist. So it is never, if I take on the role or responsibility to make someone not an addict anymore, I am going to burn out, right? Because if all it took was me telling that person drugs and alcohol are bad, then I, no one would be an addict anymore, right? No, my, my words are not going to drive your behavior. And so when we sit down as therapists and also a lot in the coaching profession, whether that is fitness coaching, life coaching, and anything in between, I always start from this place of curiosity and compassion. 
Because if I can get genuinely curious, right? Because your, your stance on something can totally trigger me. And as soon as I'm triggered, my shit is now in the room and it's no longer about you. It's about our arguing stances. So if I can get genuinely curious and know that I am talking to a part of you or parts of you that truly, truly to their core believe what you are telling me, I need to start to understand your side of things. Mm. I'm going to have a compassion in it, right? Because somewhere, some way in your life experience brought you to this decision. And that's what made the most sense. Gabor Mate, who is one of my absolute favorite writers, favorite therapists, like someone I look up to beyond words, says, if we can start looking at people and he uses this in the lens of addiction, but we could do this with anything that we don't agree with. Mm. Instead of saying, what's wrong with you? We can start to ask what happened to you, right? And how much differently does that change the way that we approach a conversation? One is you are broken, you're disgusting, you're ruined. And here, I'm gonna tell you all the reasons why, because why are you like this? To, wow, that's really interesting. What in your life led you to that decision? That sounds really important or that impacted you in some way. Tell me more about that. Because the more context I get, the more compassion I'm gonna have instead of just looking at this as like dualistic thinking. Can I ask you a question really quickly? So you said that the quote and we're contextualizing. I don't have the exact quote, but what was the, the two choices there? Was it what's wrong with you versus what happened to you? Correct. Yeah. So, you know, just from, if I'm taking, um, like the therapeutic process out of the equation, if we're just talking about a conversation that's happening between two people, you know, my immediate reaction to that is like, both of those are kind of presumptive in terms of, you know, what the other person is thinking about in terms of my point of view. Like if I was having a conversation with somebody and they said, what's wrong with you? I'd be like, okay, first of all, probably a lot, but let's, let's <laughs> I'm back. actually super unhinged. Let's, How much time do you have? Yeah. Let's back that up a little bit. But it, the, in the same vein, if they said, Hey, what happened to you? That translates to me in a very similar way to what's wrong with you just from a more like um, very like, oh, I'm going to use the woo-woo word again. Very like woo-woo perspective. Like it feels like a way around to asking the same type of question. You know what I'm saying? And I understand that the point is probably to approach the conversation with empathy as opposed to judgment, right? That at least in my opinion, when I hear a quote like that, I go, okay, getting down to the actual brass tacks of what this person is saying. They're saying that when you're discussing things that you might not agree with, with somebody who you might not agree with, coming to that conversation with empathy and understanding is much more important than coming to the conversation with judgment. But, you know, in my non-therapeutic mind, when I'm talking about, um, sorry, you guys just got a Slack message, you got to turn that off. When I'm talking about uh, that question of what happened to you, that feels very like cringy to me that somebody might ask that to me and then expect me to expound upon like, oh, well, actually, you know, when I was a kid, blah, blah, blah. It just feels very presumptive. I absolutely hear that. And I don't know that I would ever use, if a client came and sat in my office and was expressing this like very, very um, bold statement, 
the question out of my mouth would not be what happened to you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I think it's well, also, <laughs> I think it's also um, very important to note that Gabor Mate works primarily with trauma, right? That is kind of the lens in which he looks at the world and whether it is addiction or ADHD, seeing how the effects of trauma can cause these changes in, in the self, in, in the, in the person. So I also don't, I think it's more of a question in the pause for me to reflect on. Yeah. Right. For the person who's asking it, they're asking it internally right. to get to the root of why this person might be expressing these types of opinions or these behaviors. Right. Right. And I have a lot more compassion for the stories that probably come out of that than I do if I'm looking through the lens of judgment, right? Because mm-hmm. if I'm looking through the lens of judgment, I'm just trying to figure out why you're wrong and I am right. Do you think that there's a line? Like, this is an interesting question for me because I just got done watching Dahmer. Ooh, the- I haven't started it yet. I'm kind of scared to start Bro. it. Bro, oh, Lindsay, <laughs> Lindsay, this is the most, I'm a fucking true crime junkie. I know you are. But this is the most intense true crime dramatization I have ever seen in my life. Like it is so well done and so realistic. It's om- it was almost hard to watch for me. And I've watched them all. And I've watched the ones that are about the really gruesome real life stuff, like the actual documentaries on the stuff that went down where you're like, oh shit, like this is really fucked that like somebody like this did this stuff. But Dahmer was on a whole other level that's what everyone has said and i need to i need to find time to watch it that doesn't feel like added work to me it's very hard for me to turn off my therapist brain when i watch things like that that's interesting as well but i was just like let's put the impossible question out there um knowing that this is impossible to answer is there a line to which you say like wow compassion cannot and does not exist anymore. And I guess the closest analog to that kind of uh, situation would be, you know, looking at somebody like Jeffrey Dahmer and going, eh, probably just broken, (laughs) probably, probably cannot have compassion at this point. And I'm not saying that I don't, there are certainly moments in that series in which you go, wow, this person's life was so completely messed up and the things that they saw or experienced and not that you can go, Oh, I understand how he might have acted that way because a lot of people go through trauma that don't end up doing the things that this guy did, but also you you kind of reflect on it and then you feel, at least I did, you feel, feel bad for him at certain points, which is crazy. You feel bad for like, this prolific serial killer, because at some points in his childhood, it was just so messed up. Anyway, we're getting like so deep in the matrix here on. Oh, I love this matrix. I don't have, I can't pull on Dahmer because I haven't watched it. Oh, I'd have to have you back on after you do. After I watch it. Totally. I, what I relate that to was um, when the Joker came out. And I think people had very similar responses to that, where 
right? The Joker has been this villain and Batman that has just been like, we don't want to deal with him. He's gross. And you know, what's wrong with you? How could you do that? And then you watch the Joker and it kind of gives you, well, here's why, right? So that's the nuance in what's wrong with you versus what happened to you. Mm. And it starts to develop a level of compassion where you're almost sitting there like, oh my God, is there something wrong with me for sympathizing and being empathetic to a, to a killer, to a monster. And that is the essence of, of our humanness. Like we by design crave human connection. We are meant to connect with humans and all of us have some sort of life experience where if we dig, dig deep enough, we might even find compassion for our, our deepest enemy. Ooh. And for me, I'm going to get a little, I'm not going woo. I'm going to go a little bit more technical. Um, the modality of therapy that I practice most is called internal family systems, IFS. Um, so for a little bit um, more jolly of a movie, I suggest watching Inside Out, uh, the Pixar movie. Good movie. Because that is IFS depicted. Mm. So the idea is we have all of these little parts. I'm sure all of us have said something to the extent of part of me wants to do this and part of me wants to do that. And it's this huge conflict within us internally. So the founder of internal family systems got very curious about these parts. And before he was, I mean, he would see individuals, but he was primarily a family therapist. And oftentimes people come into family therapy and there's already, not always, but there is you know, call them the black sheep of the family. Mm. So the family comes into family therapy with this conscious or unconscious notion that if that person gets help, our entire system will function differently, right? They just need to get better. And then I can One find, person. right. Then I can find compassion for them, or I can forgive them, or I can move forward in this relationship, but it's because they are broken and they need to be fixed that this family system is dysfunctional. And as therapists, what we know is that it actually has nothing to do with that one person. It has to do with the energetic relationship and how you respond and react to that person and why you do. The system. Correct. So in family therapy, we treat the system. We don't treat the individual. And mm. we, we start to talk to the different parts in the system to see how we can help them work in harmony. So we take that same framework and we turn it inside to the person as we start to talk about parts. So there's parts of ourselves that we really like. And when they're out, we feel good. Like, I love my charismatic part. I love my adventurous part. I love my extrovert part. I don't love my angry part. When it's up, it feels, I have a lot of dissonance in my body and I feel really wrong for being angry. And so instead of saying, I'm going to only capitalize on the parts that I really like, and I'm going to cast out all the parts I don't, it's how can I change my relationship to all of those parts within my system? Mm. So bringing that back to how might I sit with somebody like Jeffrey Dahmer, I, at that part, at that point, I am not sitting with the person's highest or capital S self. I am sitting with a part of them and parts are born out of protection oftentimes early on in childhood, right? Which is why when you're watching this documentary, you can say, wow, that guy saw a lot of fucked up things when he was a kid. Mm. And so because the self was also five or six or however young the child is, that 
self is very, very young. And so a protector has to come out. And whether that is somebody that gets extremely introverted, somebody that gets violent, somebody that forms an addiction, that part is protecting them the best way they know how. Mm. And when parts get, it's like any other kind of coping mechanism, right? Coping mechanisms by design are not bad. When I overutilize the same one over and over and over again, that's when it gets dangerous or that's when it starts to have ill effects on my life. So if we think about this part in Jeffrey Dahmer that was used time and time and time and time again, it's going to be very, very hard for us to like identify that as a part instead of the person being bad as a whole. Mm. But if I'm sitting in session with somebody and that's what's in front of me, I get very clear as a practitioner, I am talking to a part of this person, not to the entirety of their being. So gotcha. how can I help them start to relate to that part differently? Gotcha. Yeah. And we're talking about a, a very extreme, potentially the most extreme case here with Dahmer, right? We're using an example of somebody who there's not many people, at least in the modern era, who got to that point. But bringing this back to fitness and coaching and nutrition and the things in the world that we really interact in, I do think that there's some comparisons here in terms of how coaches interact with people who struggle with their relationship with different elements of the fitness journey. You know, whether that means struggle with how they perform in their workouts, struggle with how they perceive their, their results or themselves, struggle with their, um, I don't like using this term, but relationship with food or struggle with their nutrition. There are a lot of things that you could pull out of that quote in terms of not what's wrong with you, but hey, what, what happened to you? And maybe the better understanding is let me try to better understand how you're coming at this and how we can potentially move forward positively. It's very difficult sometimes. And I, I find myself falling into this trap. I have strong opinions in the fitness, health, and nutrition space. And um, I know that some people disagree with those opinions and that's okay. I'll, I'll always avail myself to have a conversation with people about you know, whether or not they believe something differently in fitness. But oftentimes on social media, you, you have a limited number of characters or a limited number of words to make a point. And in that scenario, you're often making a point that has a little bit of a punch pack to it, right? Like in, in nutrition, a lot of times I'm talking about not eating bullshit foods. I know it's not as simple as that for everybody. But for me, a lot of times I'm talking through social media and having a conversation with myself. That's at least how I look at it. I'm kind of reaffirming the things that I believe in certain terms or certain um, things that I'm talking about by making statements and constantly trying to like reaffirm like, oh, this is the way that I should do it because it, it works for me. I feel good when I do it this way. I understand that on the other side of that, people might be viewing it and be off put by the very directness of statements like that. And I think social media is an interesting, like separate reality. You know, I, I think it's very different than if I was having a conversation with somebody in person, and they asked me about nutrition, the way that I would convey my thoughts to that person would probably be different. 
it would be much more empathetic. We'd have much more of a direct conversation as opposed to just this single 150 character snapshot in time. Let me make, um, you know, a statement here. Yeah. You know, what I love that you said there is I have to get very firm on what I believe before I put it out in this very like punchy in the face kind of way. Right. And I think that that's a lot of that is marketing in general, right? There needs to be a hook that is like that drives exactly. people in, whether they agree with it or they vehemently disagree with it. I've got you, right? I've got your attention. Now, you know, kind of going back to what I was saying before, if all it took for me to change someone's mind was to tell them my opinion on something, we would never have conflict, right? People would be changing their mind and there we go. The dip, what is different and nuanced in, in social media, what we often lack is that people take this stance and then the entire comment section is just arguing your point with trolls and yeah, throwing punches to people that want to prove you wrong. Because if we go back to parts, the protector in me sees the protector in you and those are what are arguing, right? If we're talking about social media comments or we are talking about consistency in the gym, I can talk at you until I am blue in the face, but until you understand your motives behind things, or you get curious about why it is you have that stance or why you might have a hard time with consistency and adjust and, and focus on that. We're just going to argue in circles about our opposing points. But if I give you research articles or, and I'm going to kind of throw the confirmation bias out of this, right? Because we can find research articles that support both sides. But if I can get to a place where I am willing to get curious and critically think about my stance on something, I then have the tools, the power, the courage to change my mind. Mm. So behavior change has to come from me, has to come from a belief within self that I want to change in this way. It's never going to happen by a coach telling me you need to work out three days a week. You have to do this. You have to do that. Well, uh, let me dive into that with you for a second, because ultimately I agree with you. I've said this for many, many years that no one will change their nutrition or their fitness habits or routines until they are ready to do so. Mm -hmm. They have to make the firm decision in their mind that they are doing this for themselves. Like, yes, they're going to do it. If they're saying, oh, I'm listening to all this really cool shit over here, but there's a no that's resonating in their head. It's going to be this constant uphill battle. There's some nuance there though, because there's definitely situations in which some people can bulldoze through the no, right? They can, they can be hit with either one statement or a barrage of statements that at some point just knock the no out of their head, right? And I think that that's the power of, words and motivation in in some uh, ways, because you might as a coach or an influencer or whatever, even just a person in somebody else's life, you might say the one thing to them that one day that changes that equation in their head for them. Right. And it could be as simple as saying, Hey, stop eating bullshit foods. I'm not saying that that's the perfect example. I'm just saying that like, you might say that one day to somebody and they go, oh, wow, I never thought of it that way. You know, there's a really famous example of this in the jujitsu community with uh, John Danaher, who's widely considered the 
the preeminent mind, like the mastermind of jujitsu coaching. He is changing the game completely. But about like 15 years ago or so, he met this guy, Dean Lister. And Dean Lister was this American grappler who was a savage. I mean, this dude is a mountain of muscle. He was an absolute crazy uh, practitioner. And he developed these techniques that nobody else was using at the time. He was a leg lock specialist. And 15 years ago, these two people interacted for a very short amount of time. And Dean Lister said to John Danaher, he said, why would you ignore 50% of the human body, right? Like the most basic way that you could break down why leg locks are effective. Because jujitsu to that time had mostly been an upper body control, pin, arm bar, rear naked choke type of game. But then this person came into Danaher's universe for a moment in time, said these five words to him and completely changed the trajectory of Danahar's career, his life, his athlete's life, his athlete's careers, the whole landscape of jujitsu. Like if you think about it, it's fucking crazy. The effect that this really short quip that Dean Lister gave to John Danaher in the basement of Henzo Gracie's in New York city 15 years ago, it's kind of crazy, right? Like, so that's, that's where the equation sometimes in my head gets a little funky. I start thinking about those kinds of situations and go, Oh shit. Like, John Danaher's mind was made up, completely made up. He was like, this is the way jujitsu works. It doesn't matter. But then one person one day said one thing to him and it changed everything forever. I might also, I love that first off, because I do, I think that there has to be things that radically knock us off of our path to get us to question if our path is really worth staying on or worth adjusting. I will say that willpower is not enough for most people, right? Mm -hmm. Your environment has to change. The way, you the way you relate to yourself and relate to others has to change. You have to have the courage to change your mind, which I think so many of us don't have. We get- Can, can I interrupt yeah. for a second? What's the difference between willpower and the courage to change your mind? Willpower to me feels like motivation, right? That feels like the coach that comes in every day is like, yeah, you got it. Let's go. Right. But yeah. the coach saying, yeah, you got it. Let's go is not always louder than the in and out milkshake that I saw on the way to the gym that I would rather pull over and get. Right. So there's something I heard a, a quote a long time ago that said something to the effect of it is easier to change your environment than test your willpower. Because if it's I just not an option, or if my environment has changed enough, then I don't have to just rely on this external motivator to keep me going. I, I, first of all, I fucking love that. I, and I agree with it. And the most basic example that I can give you on that, and this, this also flies in the face of some people who promote this very like warm and fuzzy feeling of like moderation and um, we're going nutrition because that's exactly how I use it too yeah 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 and like oh you know it's oh just do what feels good type of uh, approach I think that the statement that you just made is personally I agree with it but I know a lot of people out there would go no 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 
That's not the way that you go about this. The way that you go about this is you change your willpower and your environment stays the same. I don't agree with that. Here's my most basic example. If you put double stuff Oreos in my closet, my pantry, not like my clothes closet. If you put double stuff <laughs> either Oreos, one, yeah. you're gonna find them. Well, you're gonna eat them. <laughs> well, if they're in my fucking, if they're in my clothes closet, then then you know you have real serious issues. Like if you're going to put on your shoes and you're like, oh, why don't I have the little double stuff Oreo right now? Um, so if you put the Oreos in the pantry, it's gonna be much harder to avoid them if that's one of your goals. If like your goals is to say, hey, listen, I. I know that this is a problem for me. I know that I don't have the willpower to stop and eat just two Oreos. The easier solution there is to just not have them in the cupboard and potentially replace them with something that is a more optimal option for you. Now, yes, there are people who will bang their head against the wall until they are able to walk past the Oreos every day and not have them. But like, I don't think that's not the path of least resistance in my mind. The path of least resistance would be like, okay, let's change the environment and see how my willpower can like adapt to that over time. And then maybe reintroduce the thing later on down the road and see whether or not the behavior has changed. I agree. And and I think that with, like, I have one of my good girlfriends. She is... Name names. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll throw out no, her no, name's no, Jalen. No. She's awesome. She has been eating a relatively carnivore diet for the last 12 years, right? Oh, Before we even really years. had language for it. Wow. She was in there deep and early. Deep and early. And a lot of it was because of, right, she had a lot of food allergies, which is a great deterrent, right? A great motivator to, Hey, when I eat this food, it makes me sick, right? If we could just always get very sick immediately from Oreos, there might be that like conditioning that, Oh, maybe we're not going to eat Oreos. What a lot of people don't see is like, yeah, those Oreos might make you sick, but it might not show up for 15 years from now when you're battling all these different ailments. Right. But she changed her environment so much based on what was in her kitchen, what she ate every day, that now when we do go out and there is some sort of Oreo, ice cream, whatever on the menu, it doesn't even register for her, right? Like there was never that moment of willpower because she had a different environment. And now she is so conditioned in that way or has that deep belief and deep motivation and deep why within herself, mm. that those things don't pop out to her on the menu. And so... I think that where we, in my opinion, we have to change our environment to start interacting with ourselves differently, start to really start healing, right? That's what a lot of, I have a retreat coming up next week, actually. Oh, and you have to tell us about it. Yeah, totally. And I have a very hard time and it feels very similar to the gym, whether it is through my lens, the therapeutic lens, or from a coach's lens, right? How much can I do in one weekend on my retreat? Or how much can you do in one hour at the gym for the person that is going to return right back to the environment that made them sick to begin with? So how can we start to most effectively change the world around you 
it has to start from a change from within, right? If I start changing from within, I'm going to interact with things around me a lot differently. But I have to have that moment, right? Whether that is, why would you ignore half of the body to, you know, more trauma treatment, what I do, or somebody telling you no BS nutrition, right? There has to be that moment where we are called into question our belief system. And then when we get curious and we start to go down the rabbit hole and we start to notice we do feel better when we don't eat double stuffed Oreos or wow, my jujitsu game got so much better when I started leg locking Mm. or, oh my gosh, when I addressed this trauma, I'm understanding because of self, why I'm interacting in the world in this different way. And you're going to inevitably start to change your environment. Mm. And that was what was so big about my retreat is a lot of people go and they have these peak experiences and then they go right back to the environment that made them sick before. So when I decided to do this retreat, I knew it was a non-negotiable for me that I would have post-retreat integration calls. But it was like, cool, you had this big aha moment, but now we're going to check in two weeks, a month, a month and a half post-retreat and see how you've integrated the experience into your life and started changing the way you're interacting with the world. Very, very interesting. And I definitely want to dive into the type of retreat, the type of person who's coming to the retreat and also the, um, the actual material, both during and post. But one thing I want to clarify here, and you know, if you have a different opinion, please feel free to share it, is that I think we're talking in generalities here in terms of what might work generally or what we believe might work generally. Of course, that this is a highly nuanced conversation. Somebody might be listening to this and say that, no, that doesn't work for me at all. Or yes, it does work for me. I'm glad that they shared it. Or, hey, I don't know if that works for me. And I think that that's okay. I think it's okay to have that kind of open-mindedness about whether or not this is an effective strategy for people. Um, the, you know, one of the things that I've learned over the course of my fitness and training career, 15 plus years in the business and you know, working out n- nearly my entire life since I was like 15 or 16, is that everybody is different. They respond to both external motivation and stimulus and internal motivation and stimulus differently, whether or not we're talking about how to get somebody fired up or whether or not we're talking about an actual impact of a external load on the body stimulus perspective, everybody responds differently and you have to figure it out. And and a large part is that figuring it out for yourself with the help of other people and other opinions and seeing what works for other people and then tweaking it and using your body and your mind as its own little laboratory. I said that fancy because I like to say it fancy, but I think about Cartoon Network. Get out of my laboratory. Was that a pinky and Dexter's the Dexter's, oh, Lab. Dexter's laboratory? R.I.P. Uh, Cartoon Network. Shout out. Yeah. Anyway, uh, go on. The 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 key there is to like understand that I don't think anybody has all this stuff figured out. You know, you look at social media and you look at even people's profiles like mine. And you think I could see how somebody thinks that, Oh, this guy's got it all figured out in terms of working out and fitness and nutrition. Let me just tell you something. I do not. 
I question a lot of things for myself. I'm constantly trying to tweak, I'm experimenting. And if anybody out there tells you that they have the one singular solution that works for everybody all the time, that should be, yeah, your fucking opportunity and cue to run the other direction. Yep. So even though I'm out here saying, hey, these things work for me and this is what I believe, of course, there is endless amounts of nuance to some of this stuff. But you do have to, at some level, boil down what you believe to be able to share it, not only with other people, but also to kind of understand things yourself. It gets so, gets so confusing if we're just talking about fitness, nutrition, and health, man. There's so much stuff that you could do or experiment with or try that you could spend a lifetime just doing like one different thing one day at a time and never have any consistency. So figuring out what works for you and why it works for your lifestyle and your goals and how it makes you feel, look, and perform is really, really important. And you know, one thing I think you're pointing out is, is pattern recognition. And this can come from a fitness standpoint. This can obviously also come from a mental health standpoint, but somebody, okay. When we're talking about stimulus, right? External load. And you have squatted the same way forever. And then someone explains to you why you should send your knees out. Yeah. Widen your stance a little bit. Right. Right. When I'm very isolated and all I'm thinking about is keep my knees out, keep my knees out, keep my knees out. I can probably do that. Mm. Right. But more often than not, whether it is fitness or a pattern we have outside in our day-to-day life, anytime stress is applied to a situation, I'm more likely to fall back on patterns that I know because they have, though I might not have thrived through the situation, I survived and the body is incredibly efficient. So is the brain. So it's like, oh, this stimulus feels familiar. I'm going to deploy the same thing I've always done. And I think that's when getting down to the why becomes so important because my why has got to be bigger than the external motivator to keep me going. So when I am doing my front squats at a very slow controlled tempo and they feel really good keeping my knees out and then MDV throws a 21-15-9 with front squats at low weight on the board and that stress is applied I am probably going to go right back to my old mechanics unless I am willing to recognize that the new pattern serves me in a different way. That is so super powerful. So super powerful. Because even if you just, if you just put yourself into a situation outside of the gym, if you just go, Hey, when was the last time I was stressed, like emotional stress, social, professional stress, whatever. And then you, if you're not conscious about your why, if you think about your reaction in that moment, like what happened, how did I respond? Did I respond super emotionally? Did I get pissed off? Did I, you know, you know, kick the object that fell to the floor when I was trying to carry them all, you know, inside the house or whatever, or did I, you know, yell at my partner? Did I get down on myself or did I, you know, retreat to comfort with food or to comfort with booze, gambling, women, whatever, like you could replace all of those things with some sort of fallback pattern that you use to self-soothe. 
if your if your why is not strong enough or your why isn't developed to the point that you fully understand that you can use this thing to push back that natural reaction that you have to self-soothe or to comfort or to uh, dope yourself up, right? Yeah. That's fucking powerful. It's that pause, right? Because that pause allows me to respond instead of react. Mm. So if something happens and, you know, I dropped the grocery and I kicked the melon up the 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 sidewalk, (laughs) I don't know, that's what I imagined falling out of the bag. Yeah. Then, right, that's my knee jerk reaction. And if I start to, right, like the melon falls out, I notice that I'm frustrated, but I take that second and I breathe. And in that breath, I can really start to identify, wow, like I was actually like winding up to kick this melon, right? And in that moment, I can pause and say, well, shoot, like it might have a bruise on it, but if I kick it, the whole thing might explode and it's gonna, now I have to clean that up and my shoes are dirty and I don't even get to eat fucking melon that I was so excited to carry inside and put in, I don't know, fruit salad. Yeah, or just how that chain of events is gonna impact the rest of your fucking, even if it's the rest of your 10 minutes of putting the groceries away, like you kick the thing, you get pissed off, you walk in the door, the, you know, the grocery bag gets caught on the door as you're trying to walk by it. Now you're fucking- More things are falling out. Yeah, Yeah, you're slamming the door shut. You throw the groceries on the counter. I can't be the only person who's ever experienced that kind of thing in their life. Like it's just this chain of events that if you're not conscious about how you react in stressful situations, it can snowball super easily. Absolutely. And that's what so much of, you know, I think really good coaches, we recognize movement patterns, Mm. right? And we can say, wow, like that person moves kind of funny. What is, what's wrong in this chain of events that I can pick out as a coach and really start to train? Wow. It's the same thing in what I'm doing outside. Very, very cool. I like that. I also think that that's an awesome place to pause the conversation talk about what you've got going on with your retreat. And then you've shared a lot of time with me this morning and then let you get after the rest of your wonderful day. And are you still in Colorado right now? Or did you make the jump back? I am. We have not made the jump back to California yet, but it is, it is, it is near. All right. Well, tell us Lindsay about the retreat. Yeah. So the retreat, um, it's called the wild woman retreat. So I'm sure you could only imagine who kind of comes to that. But the biggest thing for me in this retreat was I have a co-facilitator. She's also a trauma-informed coach. Um, And there's a lot of ways that trauma can affect our system. If we go back to talking about these patterns, right? How has trauma formed the way I react to things versus through these tools, through the different teachings and experiences we'll do? How can I learn to start to respond to them? How can I start to reprogram that response? Well, I have to understand why it's there in the first place, right? And I think a lot of women, especially, men have this too and in a different flavor, but we, I call, we get should on a lot. You should be a mom. You should be charismatic and compassionate. You should be this way. And there's plenty of women who are loud or get angry or are not mothers. And to some degree, 
we internalize the societal pressure on who we should be. So this, and that, that can happen through a lot of different things. Yeah, a lot of that also happens looking. on the, on the male yep, side, on the other side, absolutely like different, different perspective, but yeah, totally. Like, I can't tell you how many times with men in my, in my practice that from pop Warner football days, we're told not to be a pussy. And all of a sudden I'm asking them, where do you feel that in your body? How did it feel when your partner said that to you? And there's this, this cutoff, right? So often we live in our heads and we try to make sense of things, right? I think therefore I am because I am capable of thinking I must exist on this plane somehow. And what we know through both fitness and through mental health is that our bodies know long before our brain makes sense of anything. Mm. So getting it. And it's an all women's retreat. I'm sure at some point I will have a co-ed or a men's retreat. There's also a ton of facilitators that do that. And I think they have their niche. And so I almost want to be like, go to, go to that if that's what you're looking for. But the idea is to get back to who we are at our purest form before all the shoulds, before all the this, before all the trauma, before all the that. And how can we start to understand how to be our most fully authentically embodied selves? Hell yeah. yeah. Sounds great. Two day retreat, one day retreat. It is Thursday through Sunday. Oh, so four day retreat. Four day retreat. And where can uh, my listeners find out a little bit more information? Maybe not about attending this one, but maybe attending one in the future or learning about what goes on at this retreat. Yeah, absolutely. You are ab- always welcome to follow me on, on the gram at Lindsay Taylor lock. I post all sorts of things there, whether it's retreats that I'm hosting, um, cool classes or seminars that I'm going to that are interesting to me. When my books open up for therapy, if you're in the state of California and looking for a therapist, probably the best way to find any of that. We are planning on hosting one, kind of having like a fall, spring, twice a year offering. So if this sounds like something you're interested in, I'd love to talk to you more about it and you're welcome to reach out to me there. Very cool. Well, Lindsay, I appreciate you. Thank you, as always, for sharing your time with me and the listeners. And I wish you nothing but the best. Hope you have a great rest of your weekend, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, MDV. See ya. Hello, friends. MDV here. Thank you for listening to the Intro with MDV podcast. And if you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe for weekly downloads wherever you listen to your podcast. Remember, we have a new episode coming to you every Tuesday. And if you have time and five stars to spare, please leave me a rating and review on iTunes. If you're looking for more out of me, MDV, you can find me on Instagram at MDV underscore FIT. Until next time, friends, let's go.